Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. And welcome on in to our final draft preview podcast on the Mass and All Access podcast. Tim Leonard, Brendan Morrison here with you. We are three days away from the MLB draft. This is our fourth preview episode. It's been a, a long journey to this point, Brendan. It has. And I think we are more confused about who the Orioles are going to take than we were at the beginning of this, maybe. But we're getting closer to actually finally figuring out who the Orioles will select with the number one overall pick. Well, it's funny. It's really hard to make this prediction because of how secretive the Orioles have been throughout this entire process. I mean, Mike Elias had a press conference a few days ago where reporters would ask him questions and he would just go, it's not within the best interest of the organization (laughs) to disclose that right now. So we know very little about what the Orioles are thinking with this number one overall pick. Yes, he even joked about the fact that the only thing that we've done a good job of since we've started this is not giving away who our number one pick is and made a joke that he's not going to give out any information about that. But we have found out that Michael Elias has said they're down to a list of five players a couple different times now. So we can make an educated guess on those five players. We will do that today. We will go over a case for and also some cases against why those five players out of the group of five players, why each of them might be selected by the Orioles. We will also have on Joe Doyle, Prospect Live, who you chatted with earlier in the week. Some great information about that. He even threw out a player who we weren't considering in the top five, maybe. So be sure to stick around for that as well. But let's start at the top with Drew Jones, who is considered to be the consensus top prospect, not to the degree that Adley Rutschman was when it was the last time the Orioles selected number one overall. But at this point right now, what is the case for why the Orioles will select Drew Jones? Well, I mean, the case for Drew Jones is pretty simple, Tim. The case sounds like he is the best player available. And if you have the number one overall pick, you select the best player available. If you are trying to maximize your value throughout the entire draft, and maybe you want to go under slot, that's a whole different discussion. But if you are purely saying, okay, who is the best player that we can possibly get in this draft? You mentioned that interview with Joe Doyle coming up. When I spoke with Joe, one of the things he said was that about 90% of scouts, evaluators, people he's talked to in the industry from different teams, about 90% of those people agree that Drew Jones is the best player in this draft. He may not be a generational prospect, but he has a chance to be a five-tool player. He's got elite speed, elite defensive ability. The bat looked way better his senior year of high school. He added a lot of power. The contact looked a lot better as well. If you want to draft a potential superstar, Drew Jones gives you the best opportunity to do that. He has a relatively high floor, especially for a high school prospect, and also a very high ceiling. I think about as high as any other player in this draft class. Maybe Elijah Green, who we'll talk about a little bit later on, has a higher ceiling than Drew Jones. But when you factor in how good the glove is and how ready scouts think the glove is for him to be on an MLB roster and maybe be a gold glove caliber defender right away, you have to consider that his floor is rather high when you factor that in. The thing is, his bat is not his most appealing tool. 
And I think when we get into a conversation of what do the Orioles like and how will they view Drew Jones, that's where I start to think maybe they won't select Drew Jones, even though he's the consensus number one guy, because history suggests, and even when you guys talked with Brad Selick, the director of draft operations, yesterday on the podcast, go check it out if you haven't already, great interview, he said that if you had to pick out of the five tools, which one does he want to be the best? He says hit tool. Drew Jones's hit tool is still good. It could be really good, especially when you factor in how much he's improved lately, and he has a type of body that he could add muscle to. But the fact that his hit tool isn't his best thing makes me less likely to believe that the Orioles will take him. Right, but if we're, if we're staying on the case for Drew Jones, yes. his hit tool might be his weakest tool of the bunch, and according to MLB Pipeline, it's still graded as a 55. It's there still very good, yeah. other outlets that have graded his hit tool at a 60. MLB Pipeline still ranks his power at a 60 as well. And like you mentioned, he's, what, 6'3", 180 at this point. So he's going to fill out. He's going to tap into that raw power a little bit more. The bat-to-ball skills being the weakest part of his game, I get that argument. But at that point, you're almost nitpicking a little bit because you have to find a weakest part of somebody's game that is just outstanding overall. We made the joke off air some that I could very well see on draft day. We're going to have a draft show where Mike Elias is going to join us shortly after the Orioles make the first pick. Be sure to tune in for that. I could very well see our host, Paul Mancano, looking at Mike Elias and asking him, why'd you take Drew Jones? And he said, it's pretty simple. He's the best overall player. That's why we took him. There's no reason for us to believe the Orioles don't like Drew Jones. Again, we're all just speculating based on information on previous drafts and what we've gathered. But I do feel like, based on comments Mike Elias has made where he said there's five players we're down to, to me, if you make that comment, it's not an indictment on Drew Jones because he's definitely one of those five players. But he has said quote, there's not a consensus top player like Adley in 2019. If he felt very strongly about one player to get to a point where he wouldn't be saying that quote, it would be Drew Jones, I think. But in fairness, knowing how secretive Michael Elias and the Orioles have been, if he says, we think there is a pretty clear-cut top player in this draft, it doesn't take a lot of detective work. It does them no good to say that. Yeah, (laughs) You know that's Drew Jones. If they say, we think there's a best guy here, you're almost positive that's Drew Jones. And that doesn't do you any favors. But let's talk about the case against Mm -hmm. drafting Drew Jones. Like you said, his hit tool is not the best tool that he has in his arsenal. We heard from Brad Selick yesterday saying that the hit tool is probably the biggest tool that they look at when evaluating a draft prospect. And if you don't believe that the few hitches in his swing can be worked out, I think they probably can throughout the Orioles minor league system. But if you're not all that confident in the bat, then maybe you don't take Drew Jones first overall because of the fact that he is more than likely, again, this is speculation. We don't know for sure. He is more than likely going to cost the most money. So if you don't think that there is a gap between Drew Jones and the next best guy, or even if that gap is pretty small, then maybe it's worth going to the next best guy on your board. Exactly. I think that's the biggest point to make here is the case for why they won't select Drew Jones, which again, we've said this a lot on this podcast, but to reiterate, it doesn't mean the Orioles are cheap by not wanting to pay the most money for Drew Jones. If they truly feel that Drew Jones is in the same tier 
as the other four players that are considered to be in the top five in this draft class. The best and most sound approach from there is to figure out, okay, which one can we get the best deal on? That's not cheap necessarily because it's, it's, it's not like the Orioles are not using the money later on in the draft. And it's, it's the draft pool that they're given dictates that. So if you were picking anything amongst five things that are in the same tier, like if you're going to the grocery store and you see five things of milk, not to compare these players to milk, but <laughs> I'll do it anyway. If you see five things of milk and you think, okay, I've tried them all and they're all like relatively the same, then you're probably going to look at the prices and say, which one is going to be the best bargain, best deal, which I get fans will say that's cheap, but that's not what this is at all. And I, right. I think the reason why it's not is because the Orioles will still use that money later on in the draft and it will and it will benefit them later in the draft as well if they go about it that way. Right. You are not, again, you are not using money that you could be spending on a free agent in this draft. Going into the draft, you have a set draft pool the Orioles have said, Mike Elias has said that he thinks it might be the second highest draft pool in history at 18 or $19 million. You can't use that money anywhere else. It's only used to sign your draft picks. And the biggest point of emphasis that Mike Elias has made is that the Orioles are going to maximize their draft capital in this draft. So maybe they won't use all of their money, obviously not all of their money, they won't use a huge chunk of their money on that number one overall pick on a guy like Drew Jones if they believe that they can get good talent with pick 33, 42, that they might need to overpay a little bit to get those guys. Maybe it's a high school pitcher that they make sure doesn't want to go to college, right? They will have to use a little bit more money there, and they could save it by not selecting Drew Jones and selecting somebody who might cost a little bit less money. Yeah. And based on what we know right now, Drew Jones is going to not sign for a discount and will be very expensive at the top of the draft. So that's the case for and against Drew Jones. Next on the list, I guess, would be Jackson Holiday, who's considered to be the number two prospect on MLB Pipeline right now. Shortstop, another uh, son of a former major leaguer. Matt Holiday was his dad. It feels like Jackson Holiday also has a decent likelihood of being selected by the Orioles. It maybe wouldn't be the sexiest pick, but he's a five-tool up-the-middle player who had a great senior season, who has pretty much every box checked, and it feels like he also has a very high floor as well. Right. If you look at his tools and how they're graded, every single tool is either a 60 or a 55. It's not like Drew Jones or even an Elijah Green where you're going to see a 65 or a 70 for one of his tools. Jackson Holiday is just a solid all-around player. He's viewed as a can't-miss prospect because if you are selecting Jackson Holiday, you are pretty confident in that floor. And a lot of evaluators have said as well that Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones might be in a tier of their own in this draft. They might be the two best players available. And then there is a maybe not a sizable gap, but there's a gap between Drew Jones, Jackson Holiday, and maybe the third best player in this draft, if you want to call it Elijah Green, Brooks Lee, whoever you want to say is the third best player available. Jackson Holiday might be in a similar tier to Drew Jones, but just might not cost as much. Yeah, and I think that's the case. If the Orioles truly view it as five players in one tier, then they're probably going to be having a different approach in this draft in terms of who they want to draft number one overall. 
But if they think Jackson Holiday and Drew Jones are in the same tier, or maybe they view Jackson Holiday as the number one player, I'm sure Mike Elias has in his head what the rankings of how these players would go, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to take that player. There's all other things that go into it when you get into the contract negotiations and everything. But there's a decent shot that they say Jackson Holiday, Drew Jones is a tier of itself, like a lot of evaluators claim. And if they view that, then maybe Jackson Holiday is the pick because he's a little bit safer than Drew Jones. Right, and he will most likely stick at shortstop, which is a premium position. He's shown a lot of good potential there defensively. And the hit tool, I think, is really safe. You look at what Jackson Holiday did in his senior year. He wasn't even really considered a top 10 pick going into draft season. And then all of a sudden, Jackson Holiday just started flying up boards. Yeah. So maybe it's the kind of thing where he just, he added some weight. He fixed some things during his senior year. And that inspires enough confidence to say, okay, we have seen enough from him and his improvement this season to make us pretty confident that he can be the number one guy. Yeah, the case against taking Jackson Holiday, I would say if your philosophy is either take the best available player or you go under slot, Jackson Holiday doesn't fit into that bucket. And I'm not saying that's what the Orioles are thinking, but a lot of people seem to think that's you have one of two ways to go about it when you have the number one overall pick. And it feels like Holiday is kind of in that middle ground. Right. So maybe that's making us overlook the idea of them just viewing him as the number one prospect internally, and that's why they would select him. But I think that's the case against him right now is he doesn't really check the underslot box, and he's also not Drew Jones. Right. We haven't really talked a ton as of recently about Jackson Holiday or Elijah Green. We've really kind of yes. hardly talked about because right. there's just really no Elijah Green to the Orioles chatter at this but point also from everything we've seen. There's no knowledge of any chatter. Right. So, like, I don't know. Part of me is like, okay, why have we totally ruled out Elijah Green? But I do think it would be a total shock. We'll get to Elijah Green. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I do agree with you where they are kind of in a middle tier where they might not be the best player available in Drew Jones, but they might not be that far under slot. So they just kind of fall in this weird middle ground where you're yeah. not really sure what to do with them. But the middle ground might be a good place to be. Because <laughs> right. if you're looking for a compromise, if you're looking for a player that's close to the best player available, but isn't so far down the list as maybe however you view Brooks Lee or Tamar Johnson, then maybe a Jackson Holiday makes sense. But again, the case against a Jackson Holiday is that if he doesn't go number one overall, he's probably going number two or number three. So he's not going to take a huge discount to be the number one overall selection. We'll get to Tamar Johnson in a little bit, but if Tamar Johnson doesn't get selected first overall, there's a possibility he could go seventh or eighth in this draft. Yeah. So he would take a discount to be the number one overall pick, whereas for Jackson Holiday, pretty confident that he will be the second or third overall pick in this draft if he doesn't go first overall. So he's not going to take a massive discount, even if it's a little bit more of a discount than Drew Jones. Right, and we will make our predictions at the end of this podcast as best educated guesses as we right. can make. We'll make our bad predictions, I should say, I guess, but we'll go on record at the end of this podcast. I do feel like Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday. I could definitely see either of them being selected, and it would also not surprise me if they weren't selected right now. We'll get to further detail on why that is maybe later on. Let's go to Tamar Johnson, who you brought up, and make a case for and against why Tamar Johnson could be and would not be the number one overall selection for the Orioles. 
I think the case for him is actually rather intriguing when you consider what we know about Tamar Johnson. We know that he came to Camden Yards and did a workout. So I think based on that, we know that he is in the top five for sure that Michael Elias is considering. There's mutual interest. He was obviously interested in the Orioles, as he should be, because they have the number one pick, and Michael Elias and the Orioles organization is interested in him. We know that. We also know that he is considered the best hit tool in this draft class, and we know the Orioles really like the hit tool. So that's a case for why they might select Tamar Johnson. On top of all that, we know, based on some rumblings, that he might want to go number one, seems like he wants to go number one, and it seems like he might cut a deal to go number one and would be one of the cheaper options of the five players. Yeah, there's a lot of things to look at here with Tamar Johnson, the first of which, like you mentioned, is the hit tool. He has a 70-graded hit tool, according to MLB Pipeline, which is nuts. He has been called the best prep hitter in the draft in decades. Decades. That's an insane thing to say. Think about the amount of prep guys that we have seen enter the draft and be picked very high over the last few years. I mean, Bobby Witt Jr. Mm -hmm. is one that comes to mind as well. A ridiculous hit tool coming out of prep high school. And Tamar Johnson is graded better than him. So that's how good of a bat we're talking about with Tamar Johnson. The question mark, of course, comes with the fact that he's undersized. He currently plays shortstop in high school. Most evaluators believe that he'll have to bounce over to second base. A second baseman has never been selected first overall. But there's a legitimate case to be made that if the bat is this good, then it maybe just doesn't matter if he plays second (laughs) base. I know it's not the highest value position, But if the bat is that good, the tools are that good, and we have heard that the makeup is incredible, he wows teams in interviews, maybe it just doesn't matter that he plays second base. Put it this way, if Tamar Johnson's tools were Drew Jones and he was considered the consensus number one pick, I think our conversation would be, we'd be very surprised if Michael Elias does not take that player number one. The reason why I'm hesitant to go all in on that they might take Drew Jones is because of the glove, like we talked about. The fact that the bat tool is so appealing, and he came for that workout to Camden Yards, and on paper, he seems to have interest in going number one and could be the best deal. I really feel like there's a strong case for Tamar Johnson going number one. The case against him, though, like you said, is outside of the hit tool, there's not as much to like in the supplemental tools as the other players. He's still a high school guy. There's another guy that we're going to talk about in just a second, Brooks Lee, who has a great hit tool, who's a college guy that might be even safer. So Michael Elias has gone the college route before. Maybe they just like Brooks Lee's hit tool better than Tamar Johnson, And they're not even considering Tamar Johnson that much because of that. It's entirely possible. But, I mean, there's a scout. And if you read the the Tamar Johnson bio and MLB pipeline, a scout compared Tamar Johnson's hit tool to the plate discipline of Wade Boggs and the bat-to-ball skills of Vladimir Guerrero (laughs) Sr., which would be the greatest hitter of all time. And that's a ridiculous evaluation. But it's, it's hyperbole to show that the bat is just that good. And like you mentioned, Tim... The rest of the tools are not great. He is not the fastest guy in the world. He's an okay fielder. I mean, he's being graded as a shortstop right now, and those fielding tools will probably improve if he's being graded as a second baseman. The value as a defensive position at second base is just not great, and we've never seen it before with the first overall pick. 
But then again, we had never seen a first baseman get picked first overall. Yep. And then the Tigers selected Spencer Torkelson, who they believe will be a fantastic hitter in the middle of their lineup, regardless of where he plays. So if you believe Tamar Johnson could be a top-of-the-lineup sort of bat in the majors relatively soon, then it doesn't matter where he plays. Right. It just doesn't. And Jim Callis, who covers everything MLB draft for MLB Pipeline, has been doing that for a number of years. He was quoted in a MassInSports.com article talking about how he could be taking a deal and how he thinks that Tamar would probably be his best educated guest right now. He also said that he thinks Tamar is the best high school hitter he's seen since Ken Griffey. So it's another just unbelievable comparison. It's outlandish. It's, yeah. You read his bio and you're like, wait, this guy's not the number one overall pick based right. on these comparisons. But the hit tool is way above the rest of the supplemental tools for him. I think Tamar Johnson, we'll get into when we make our final predictions. But as we've laid out the cases for and the cases against, it almost gives me like more clarity to think that there's a strong possibility that the Orioles take him. I feel like every time we're on this these couches, Tim, and we talk about Tamar Johnson, I just talk myself into it. I know, right. Because, again, another point to be made for him, I mentioned it briefly, but you want to talk about what every fan has been talking about with Adley Rutschman, with the leadership, with all that. Perfect Game has described Tamar Johnson as playing with a big personality and a, a huge amount of leadership on and off the field, and I don't think you can discount that. I know it's not what you're looking at, at primarily when you're looking at a player, but you can't discount the makeup either. We've seen the Orioles draft continuously high-character guys like Adley Rutschman, and it has worked out very well. Yeah, and even chatting with him when we did our interview, and by the way, we've talked to a number of these top prospects. You can find the interviews on our social pages and YouTube by just looking up Mass and Orioles. He's a funny, charismatic guy who clearly is a very good interviewer too. So if the Orioles sat down and did an interview with him, I'm sure they had that takeaway probably. Moving on to a guy who's got a very similar skill set to Tamar Johnson, but he is the first college player we've mentioned. Brooks Lee is also, we think, in consideration as one of the top five guys right now for that number one overall selection for the Orioles. And real quick, if you're just tuning in and you're just trying to catch up on MLB draft stuff, you might be thinking, we've talked a lot about hitters so far. What about pitchers? The Orioles need a pitcher. Mike Elias, who does not give away any information, has said it will not be a pitcher, and that's because everyone in the industry agrees there's no pitcher even in consideration in the top five. So just worth making that point. Right, and like you said, we don't know much. So if Mike Elias (laughs) unequivocally says they will not be taking a pitcher, you can be very confident that they will not be selecting a pitcher. Yeah, and he would only say it if there was literally no possibility of it. So that's why he said it. Brooksley is the Cal Poly shortstop who may go to third base, may go to second base. Similar to Tamar Johnson, question marks about his defense, his speed, but he's hit the cover off the ball, and he has a great hit tool. And he is a similar makeup to guys that the Orioles have targeted early on in drafts since Michael Elias has come over. Yeah, the Orioles love an established college hitter, and that is exactly what you have in Brooks Lee. I mentioned that Tamar Johnson has a 70-graded hit tool, according to MLB Pipeline. Brooks Lee has a 65. He's a switch hitter. He has performed... Cal Poly doesn't have the highest level of competition in the college ranks. So let's look at some higher level of competition and go to the Cape Cod Baseball League. We've mentioned the Cape League before on this podcast. If you're not too familiar with it, it's essentially where a lot of the most talented college players in the country go over the summer, and that's where they're playing before their seasons. Brooks Lee there hit over 
400. That's against some of the best yeah. pitchers in the country. So it was if you in want 21 a, games, but still very, very impressive. Right. Yes. 21 yeah. games is still, it's Decent. not a big sample yeah. size, but I mean, to hit over 400 in a 21 game stretch against some of the best college pitchers in the country, if the Orioles once again want to go with a well-established college bat, Brooks Lee's the guy. He might not have a ton of pop, and he might not be a guy that's hitting 30 home runs someday in the major leagues, but I do, again, like his pedigree as well, like Tamar Johnson. I like the fact that he was pegged to be a late first-round pick out of high school. He said, no, I'm going to bet on myself, and it paid off for him. Went to play for his dad, who was the head coach at Cal Poly. Pretty much proved everyone wrong about his game or just improved his draft stock from that point on. And now here he is, likely to be selected in the top five. It was clearly a decision that worked for him. The case against him, I think, is that he's very similar to Tamar Johnson. And Jim Callis, again, in that article that Steve chatted with him about on MassInSports.com, talked about how right now he anticipates that Brooks Lee will be more expensive of an option in the underslot variety than Tamar Johnson. There's a possibility that the Orioles just like Brooks Lee more than Tamar Johnson, but they're very similar players, so I feel like that's the case against him, that if you are going the route of underslot, you're looking for that hit tool, maybe you just go Tamar because he's going to be a better deal than Brooks Lee. Yeah, if you view them in a very similar light, then maybe you go with Tamar Johnson because, as you mentioned, I think there's a possibility that Tamar Johnson either goes first overall or he goes seventh or eighth overall. With Brooks Lee... Maybe he goes first overall, but then maybe he goes three, four, five, somewhere in that right. range. I don't really see Brooks Lee getting past pick six or seven, where Tamar Johnson could do that. And it's entirely possible that the Orioles view Tamar Johnson as just a better prospect than Brooks Lee, MLB Pipeline does, for example. So there are cases to look at where maybe teams think that Tamar Johnson is a better overall prospect than Brooks Lee, but there's still a chance that he slips further in the draft and takes less money at the top. All right, so the final guy in the five is Elijah Green that we haven't talked about yet. Then we will make our final predictions. We'll also hear from Joe Doyle in a little bit. Again, there's very little chatter. It seems like everyone is just ruling out that Elijah Green will go number one. It seems like no one's considering Kevin Parada number one as well. You'll chat with Joe Doyle maybe about him in a little bit as well, but I think right now Elijah Green is a name that would shock me the most out of the top five. I'm confident saying that. It's not like it's, uh, you know, it's it's not impossible that he's selected number one because he does have upside, and we don't really know what the Orioles are thinking exactly, but it doesn't feel like out of the five he has a very good chance of being the number one pick right now. I don't think he has a very high chance, but if you are looking at the, if you want to, put a water gun to my head here, Tim, and say which player has the highest ceiling of anybody in this draft, it's Elijah yes. Green. I mean, he's six foot three, 225 pounds in high school. He has a 60-graded power tool, which some evaluators have ranked higher than that, and he has a 70-graded run tool. He has the best combination of size, speed, and power in this draft. Because Drew Jones is just not nearly the size of Elijah Green. And there isn't really another player towards the top of the draft that has this kind of power. The reason we aren't really talking about him all that much is because there are concerns with the swing and miss in his game. He struck out a decent amount at the prep level. But 
in fairness, he's also playing at IMG. Yes. So that is the best level of competition, more than likely, that you're possibly going to get at the high school level. So maybe you can say, okay, yeah, he has a lot of swing and miss, but he's going against the best high school competition possible. So I think they're... I know we're kind of ruling him out because a lot of scouts and evaluators have said... why are we? Because... Like yes, the it's floor a risky is, pick. The floor is lower. Yeah, it's right, but at the same time, Michael Elias has made risky picks before. Maybe he just really likes Elijah Great. I mean, I'm not saying it's likely, but I don't really know why it's consensus that he has been ruled out because there's got to be plenty of teams that might view him as the number one prospect just based on upside alone. I mean, going into the year, he was kind of the consensus number one overall pick. I remember talking with Paul on a podcast when the Orioles got the number one overall pick when they secured it. And I think it was probably like a year ago. And I said, man, if they don't take Elijah green, that's a miss <laughs> because Elijah green was just the dude. And right. he's still a dude. I mean, he's got five tool potential. He has, if he reaches his ceiling, he might be the best player in this draft. Yeah. And if you are going based purely on potential, if you want to look at, okay, the Orioles have the number one overall pick. They might not be here again we want to select the player that has the potential to be just an absolute superstar. Elijah Green might have the highest superstar potential. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to make predictions? No, but we're going to do it anyway. <laughs> Should we try the, the bird game again? Which, sure. Which, if, if anyone missed the last podcast when I hilariously did not add up to 100 birds, I'm gonna, I've got the calculator by my side this time. I'm going to make sure that I add up to 100 birds. But... The concept is you have 100 birds that basically act as like percentage points that you think could be the number one. You put a confidence level of sorts on each guy. Real quickly before we do that, are there any dark horses that we should mention? Cam Collier. I mean, we talked about him on a previous podcast. The hit tool is great. Right. He is another guy that went up against advanced competition and still put up really good numbers. Jacob Berry is also a college bat with a strong hit tool that I feel like there were more rumblings early on. Maybe we should should mention Parada because he's another college bat with a great hit tool, but he's a catcher and you have Adley Rutschman. Yeah, but I don't think you're looking a ton at value in terms of... You're not looking a ton at position at the top of the draft. I agree, I think you're looking at positional it's value. Adley. Like, yes. if there's one guy that you are you know is going to be a part of your future plans, it would be him at the catcher position. But I will say, for a hypothetical scenario where the Orioles think that Kevin Parada is the best player available regardless of position, you draft your guy and you figure out where to play him later. I yeah. mean, Kevin Parada could be a part-time catcher, first baseman, DH, and you just kind of figure it out. You'll figure it out if Kevin Prada is your best player available. I think the Dark Horse guys, like you said, there's probably a group of eight potential picks here. We've narrowed it down to the five that we think it is. I think those other three are Cam Collier, Kevin Parada, and Jacob Berry because Parada and Berry have cases to be the best hitters at the college ranks this year. Yeah, and I would rank it just how you said it, Collier, Berry, Parada in terms of most likely. But I I'm would not be giving shocked. them any birds, Tim. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> they're not getting any of my birds. Even if I count to 90 again, they will not be getting any of them. But I would be shocked if it was Collier. I'd be, like, totally floored if it was Parada, just because of the catcher yeah. thing. and so, Barry, same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, like, Barry maybe right there with Collier, just because it is, like, they were kind of linked to him at one point. But, all right, let's get to the bird game. We, we've okay. delayed it long enough. Um, 
let's start at the top. I would say right now, my best educated guess for the Orioles' number one overall pick is Tamar Johnson. By a very slim margin, mostly because I think the hit tool is great. We laid it out earlier. He could be the best deal. I'm going to give Tamar Johnson 33 of my 100 birds okay. at the top. Do you and need to like write this down so you don't go to 90 I, I again? I have it written down, and I, okay, I, okay. I did this this morning. I had a calculator in front of me. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not going to make right, the good. same mistake again. Yeah, yeah. I, I may glance at it just to make sure I don't mess it up because I'm hyping it up like I won't mess it up again. But... I'm going to say Tamar Johnson, 33 birds, and I'm going to put right behind him, one bird less, Jackson Holiday with 32 birds. I'm going to do birds. a very similar thing in a okay. minute. Okay. <laughs> I'll just say that's my top two for now. What do you have okay. at the top? So before I get into this, I do want to explain my thought process a little bit. Yes. We were joking before we got on this on this podcast. I feel like I know what my thought process is, but I'm trying so hard to find a way to explain it that makes sense to anybody else. So the way that I think about it is that let's put these prospects on a scale of 1 to 10 in both value and monetary value. Let's say Drew Jones has a value of 10 but costs you $10. Right. Jackson Holiday, I'd say, maybe has a value of 9, costs you $9. And then behind that, things get interesting. I think I would put Tamar Johnson at a value of 7 and according to Jim Callis, will cost you a decent amount less. So value of seven maybe costs you $5. Brooks Lee value of seven costs you $7. And then Elijah Green, I'd say maybe might be an eight. A value of yeah. seven or eight and costs you around seven or eight. Right. If that thought process made any sense <laughs> to anyone, then my birds will make more sense. Because I want to have one player and not just cop out, I'm going to give 31 birds Ooh. to Tamar Johnson. I'm going to give 30 birds <laughs> to Jackson Holiday, And then I'm going to give 29 birds to Drew Jones. Someone is just tuning in and they're like, why are these guys talking about birds so much? <laughs> I get it's the Orioles podcast, but still, yeah. So you're very similar to me. I just slightly different numbers. Right. You, yeah, you might be given a larger chance and to then, some of the players to be named later. And then yes. I'll give... 10 birds. I'll give nine birds to Brooks Lee and a singular bird goes to Elijah Green. <laughs> no Cam Collier birds. He gets a feather. Okay, a feather. Yeah. yeah. To complete my list, 33 Tamar, 32 Jackson Holiday. 20, we got way too intricate with this, Tim. <laughs> 25 Drew Jones birds. That leaves 10 birds left. I'm going to throw them all to Brooks Lee. I still would not be too surprised if it's Brooks Lee because he is the college bat and the Orioles have a history with college bats. But as of right now, I think if you had to make me pick, it's Tamar Johnson because of the reasons that Jim Callis laid out in that article and because of what we've talked about. And I think if they view these guys in one tier, then you go for Tamar Johnson because then you start to consider, like you were saying, the seven skill level, five money, however you phrased it. That that whole comparison, if you consider that, he's probably the best deal. But they could view Drew Jones as the best player. They could view Jackson Holiday as the best player. And from there, if you don't think uh, if you don't think tomorrow is in that tier, then you take the best available player. So I could I still think there's a strong shot it's Holiday or Drew Jones. Yeah, Scott on Facebook saying paralysis by analysis, <laughs> which is pretty accurate. My Tamar Johnson argument, if I'm going to stick with that's the guy. It's for a bunch of reasons, like you mentioned. 
if Jim Callis is correct and Tamar Johnson will take less money to be the number one overall pick, my guess is that the gap talent-wise in terms of how the Orioles are evaluating these picks, the gap talent-wise between Drew Jones, Jackson Holiday, Elijah Green, Brooks Lee, and Tamar Johnson is not so large that you wouldn't take the player that gives you the best discount. And that player might be Tamar Johnson. Because all we have heard consistently from Mike Elias is that the Orioles want to maximize their draft capital. That's not just with the number one overall pick. Obviously, they want a great number one overall pick. That's why you're selecting in that spot. But they have a lot of picks early on in this draft. They have five in the top 81. They've got another pick at 33, one at 42, and then 67 and 81. It's possible that if you sign Tamar Johnson to maybe it's a million dollars less than you could get at Drew Jones. That's the number that Jim Callis threw out. If you can sign him for a million dollars less and you have five picks in the top 80, you could end up with four or five top 50 talents in this draft because signing Tamar Johnson under slot with the number one overall pick gives you the flexibility to get better players later on. And if what Mike Elias has said is holding true and that you are just trying to maximize your value throughout this entire draft, Tamar Johnson might give you the best opportunity to do that. And so that's why Tamar Johnson is my pick. Yeah, I I agree with that logic completely. It's going to be probably not Tamar Johnson because we predicted him at this point. So tune in at 7 p.m. Sunday night, the draft show. We will have a live draft day show. Paul Mancano will be hosting that. We'll chat with Mike Elias after the pick. A couple other guests as well. We'll get you ready for it by coming on a little bit before the draft, starting at 6.30 p.m. on Sunday, leading you up to that first overall pick when we can finally stop playing bird games and just go from there. Because and I'm, people can just find out how wrong we were yes, all along. It's going to be hilarious to listen back to this podcast in like a week and be like, wow, we gave no birds to the guy that the Orioles ended up taking. Pretty much. So we were probably way off. But anyway, thanks for tuning in (laughs) to the podcast today. We still really sell it there, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We've been doing our homework, but it's just a tough thing to predict. We promise we've been doing our homework. We have more to come on the podcast, though. Brendan chatted with Joe Doyle, who actually, like, he might be spot on. We're, we're, We're probably way off. But this is a guy that's been covering the draft all year long. He works over at Prospect Live. He's got some interesting names that he throws out here when Brennan chats with him at the potential number one selection for the Orioles. So without further ado, let's kick it over to Brendan and Joe Doyle from earlier in the week. Really excited to be joined now on Mass and All Access by Joe Doyle, the Director of Draft Content for Prospects Live. Joe, thanks so much for hopping on. Absolutely, man. Uh, Excited to be on and... uh... Happy to talk a little Baltimore Orioles with you. Yeah, absolutely. The MLB draft is just around the corner, and the Orioles hold the number one overall selection. Mike Elias has said throughout this process that they've had a group of about five or six prospects that they're looking at in this draft, and they'll probably carry that group of five or six into draft day. If you had to guess as to who those five or six prospects are, what are the names we should be looking at? Yeah, so I think the two layups are probably Drew Jones and Jackson Holiday. I think those two um, are are widely considered to be two of the top five prospects in this class, and uh, they make a lot of sense for the Orioles. I actually think the other three are probably college bats. I don't think Kevin Parada is getting a lot of run in public circles, but I do think Kevin Parada is one of the top five names available and would be on the Orioles draft board, regardless of the Adley Rutschman situation. 
I think Brooks Lee makes a ton of sense as well. And then beyond that, I tend to think that it might be some sort of wild card. So it could be a Cam Collier. It could be a Termar Johnson. But uh, if we learn one thing about the Baltimore Orioles, it's that never, uh, I guess, expect the unexpected. Now, the Orioles have gone under slot in the past. They've also gone best player available with the number one overall pick by selecting Adley Rutschman. Can you talk a little bit about what the benefits to each of those strategies might be for a team like the Orioles at the top of the draft? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going full slot, going with that number one pick, going with chalk, if you will, and Drew Jones, you're getting the best player in the draft. You're getting a guy that checks every box. And for that reason, I mean, you're drafting one of the few players in this class that truly does have superstar potential, but you are bringing on the risk of taking on a high schooler and that, you know, that has more volatility as, as history has shown. But going under slot has a lot of advantages. I mean, uh, you know, they went with Heston Kerstad a couple of years ago. And while that pick has been a slow churn because of health reasons, it allowed the Baltimore Orioles to land a talent like Kobe Mayo and just continuing to infuse a system with more and more talent in quantities. I think pays off in the long run, especially as you kick open a competitive window where you're going to need to draft, or I should say you're going to have to trade some of these prospects to bring on uh, premier talent. So let's start with that best player available strategy. There's merits to both sides here. But if the Orioles do decide to go with the best player available, do you think it's Drew Jones? Or is there a possibility that maybe the Orioles draft room has a best player available that's different than the consensus? Listen, I think the consensus among uh, scouts and executives and, and you know evaluators that I talked to, 90% of folks think that Drew Jones is the top player available in this class. And for good reason. I mean, he checks every box. He's a performer. He's long. He's lean. He's going to add weight. He can play center field. He's got power. He can really run. Uh, every other player that you find in this class is going to have some sort of question mark attached to their name. And while you know no one player is a sure thing, Drew Jones has had a really, we've, we've all had a very, very hard time nitpicking reasons as to why he won't succeed. Now, coming into this year, there were some question marks about Drew Jones's hit tool. Do you think those questions got answered during his senior season? Yes, definitely. So he added a lot more impact at the plate. Uh, he, he really showcased some, some new power, some new strength, and he was you know hitting the ball to all fields. So I do think there are still hitches in his swing that will be addressed but you know what? The Baltimore Orioles have done such a fantastic job in developing talent over the last handful of years under the Mike Elias regime. I just don't think there's any question that they could get some of those ironed out and you know turn Drew Jones into a potential guy that you know goes to six or seven All-Star games. He's a really special talent. Now let's look at the other side with the underslot strategy. If the Orioles do decide to go underslot with the number one overall pick, who do you think that selection could be? So my guess would be one of the college performers, one of Brooks Lee, one of Kevin Parada. Both of them are going to be a little bit closer to the big leagues than Drew Jones, and the Orioles have shown this season that they are a little bit closer to competing in the AL East than most think. So my money would certainly be on those two college bats. Um, but again, as I started, as I as I be, began this interview, uh, there is probably a wild card type of candidate somewhere out there. You know, maybe a Kamar Rocker, maybe a, maybe a Cade Horton, a, a college pitcher that can help this rotation in its immediacy. So uh, certainly on the college side would be my, would be my underslot uh, idea. 
Now, over the last few seasons, the Orioles knew that they would be selecting pretty high up in the draft, and they also needed to bolster the farm system a little bit. And that's part of the reason why they elected to go under slot so they could get some better quality prospects later on in the draft. For this year, do you think that under slot strategy still makes as much sense as it has in years past? Definitely, definitely. So this this uh, this draft class, if it's if it's one thing, it is absolutely rich in premium high school pitching, and we've seen the Orioles do very very well developing high school pitching over the last four or five years. So for that reason, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Orioles to go on to slot at number one. Now the question is, is the organization willing to wait for some of those high school arms to develop debut in twenty twenty six, twenty twenty seven? They're not going to help the team in the near future. And it does appear as though this team is ready to compete now. Now, you mentioned the high school pitchers. There's not a ton of pitchers within maybe the top 10 talents in this draft, but the Orioles do have pick 33. They have pick 42 as well. Do you think those are some picks where they could target some high school pitchers? Yeah, absolutely. I think high school pitching has got to be the emphasis right around those picks. Uh, I think, uh, you know, there's a, there's a kid by the name of Owen Murphy in Illinois that really checks a lot of metric boxes. Uh, the fastball really explodes at the top of the zone. He's got high spin rates. He, he fills up the zone with strikes. I think that's the type of name that makes a lot of sense for the Orioles. But I've mentioned this before. I think some of the injured college pitchers that didn't have the opportunity to showcase their stuff this year also makes some sense that, uh, you know, in that com- uh, competitive balance A round. I think Reggie Crawford, you know, he, he announced he's going to Tennessee today, but he's a lefty that's up to 102 miles an hour. A lot of scouts thought he was the best pitcher for Team USA last summer. I think that's a name that you should also keep an eye on if you're the Orioles. Now, we've heard both sides of the coin here. If you were making the selection, Joe, would you go best player available or would you go with the underslot strategy? Well, hey, man, at the end of the day, it boils down to money. How much money is it going to cost? For me, if the money is right around slot value for that number one overall pick and Drew Jones and his representation don't want to play any funny games i just think there's a there's a paralysis by analysis uh, paralysis by analysis aspect of this i would take the best player available because i think drew jones is the best player far and away in this class well make sure you're checking out all of the draft content that joe and his colleagues over at prospects live have to offer leading up to the mlb draft on sunday joe thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it absolutely man